1: Ephesians 2, go back there if you would. Ephesians 2. I want to emphasize in this series that we're talking about, fully equipped, fully equipped for what's ahead. What I'm giving you is an outline. Say outline. These key points are outlines of things you need to do to be fully equipped, as the Bible warns us, about what's coming. None of what I'm touching on is an in-depth teaching on these areas. You could take every one of these points and literally take time to focus on each one and teach a whole other set of messages just on each one of these points. So these are just key points in your life that you need to make sure that you're putting into practice if you want to be fully equipped for what's coming. Amen? Amen. In Ephesians chapter 2, we find out God has already prepared for us what's needed for our future. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do what? Walk in in Him. You know what that tells me? God did his part. God did his part. He's already prepared our future. He's already prepared for us what's to come to be able to know how to be prepared for what's to come and walk in what he has for our life. Amen? Amen? Already prepared it. Already got it ready for us. And we simply need to know what we need to do to be prepared to walk in that. So, in the context of this verse, I've given you the Amplified Translation, part of which says that we are taking paths which He prepared ahead of time. We are taking paths which He prepared ahead of time that we should do what? Walk in them. Living the good life. Yes, Living the good life. Getting a few more amens. Living the good life. Come on which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. What kind of life does God have already prepared for you ahead? A good life. A good life. But you have to prepare yourself in the day you're living so that you can experience that as you go forward into the days ahead. So here's the first two key things we've already talked to you about of preparing yourself for what's to come. Number one, don't make church optional. Don't make church. Church optional. Make church optional, you won't be prepared to walk in the path of the good life God has for your head. Much scripture on this. I know you know it, but the Bible says it. Do not forsake assembling Amen. as you see the day approaching and so much the more. So God doesn't tell us less church as we get closer to the return of the Lord. He tells us more church. Right. Now, if I'm a doer of the word, guess what? I'm going to be making a priority. More church. More church. <clears throat> that don't mean I may never miss a service. But I will assure you, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I don't make church optional for me. Now, why is that so important? Parable of the sower. What is church? What you're experiencing right now is the parable of the sower. I'm the sower. I'm sowing the word. You're the field. The seed of God's word is going forth. For those that are good ground, that seed is getting implanted. It's going into your heart. What's it going to do? It's going to produce the harvest of the pathway God has for your future. What if you're not here to hear the word? You're missing out on the seed. If you're missing out on the seed, don't blame God. When darkness overtakes you, that he didn't give you what you needed to your pastor to be prepared for what's to come. You want a harvest of more of the life that God has for you? Anybody want more of a harvest of this good life, which he prearranged? Well, guess what? You can't get it without actually understanding the parable of the sower. And that is significant because Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, forget about all the rest. Because this parable explains, based on what obviously Scripture teaches, how all the other things I'm going to teach you are going to work. Do you understand? The parable of the sower, he's saying, if you don't understand it, forget about the rest of the parables. What are the rest of the parables? Truths I need to impart into your life. But I can't if you don't understand the significance of sitting there and receiving the word when it's preached. If you don't understand that, forget about the rest of the parables because you won't even be there to hear them. You won't even be there to receive them. And a lot of Christians today still make church optional. I'm going to tell you why I don't make church optional. I don't make it optional not because I'm a pastor, not because I'm paid to be here. I don't have to be here. I could choose not to show up. But I show up because I get as much out of the time of the teaching of the Word as you do. My heart's been uh, having uh, seed planted in it as good ground as well. I'm hearing what's being preached just as you are. So you got to understand, folks, if you make church optional, I'm going to prophesy it to you. Receive it as a word from God, I pray. I'm going to prophesy it to you. You make church a priority, the harvest for you in the future is going to be good. You make it optional, it will not. Because I'm going to tell you who's already planting in your field on a daily basis. See, I am blessed in one way as a pastor because I don't work out in the secular environment. I'm blessed by that, truly blessed by that. I work in a spiritual environment preparing to help you. So guess what? Now, this is the way it's set up. God very clearly tells us where to go into all the world, preach the gospel. That includes me wherever I go. But guess what? You're in more of a secular environment on a day in and day out basis than I am. How many of work with sinners? Let me see your hand. Raise your hand. So guess what's happening while you're around those sinners? Satan's trying to plant seed in your heart. That's right. But guess what happens if you're planting more of the Word of God into your spiritual nature as opposed to those seeds in your fleshly nature? Right. It will override it. Exactly. It'll overtake it. Your harvest will be of God. So in the world that you're in, an environment that is totally carnal and controlled by the God of this world, not like all that's in the world is under Satan's control, but I'm just telling you the system is... Right. He's the God of the system that's in this world today. Meaning what? I love something Pastor prophesied. We shared it with you on a Sunday night in our prayer service. Pastor spoke in the context of that webinar. He said, you better get back to the Bible's system of values and away from the world's system of values. If you value things based on the world, you're walking under Satan's rule. Time to get back to the way of the Bible system of what it says its values need to be. Amen? So realize in this world, guess what? You're already having seeds planted, but how you can deal with that and obviously overtake those seeds and, and uproot them is through the Word of God. What's true of the negative is true of the positive. If I'm good ground and the seed of God's word's being imparted in my life and I'm reaping a harvest of that consistently, guess what happens to those seeds of the world? They get overtaken by the word of God. They get overtaken by the truth of God. Because I know the truth, the truth does what? But what if I don't know the truth? And today, what I'm going to talk about is significant as it relates to what you're doing in a believer, even as it relates to being here and in the Word. So number one, don't make church optional. Make it optional, fine. You're not getting the seed planted you need. You're not going to reap the harvest of what God has for your head. It's, that. So it's black and white in Scripture. This isn't even close to a gray matter. This is so simple, so basic. You could probably take an average three, uh, third grader, fourth grader, and sit them down and teach them this, and they can learn it no problem. Are you listening? I don't know why Christians can't seem to get it. They, they think we're exaggerating. They think people like me, Dr. Barclay, other ministers of righteousness, you know what there's going to be a famine of in the day you're living in? True preachers of the word. Didn't say there'd be a famine of preachers. Just be a famine of true preachers of the word. You know why? These kind of messages don't keep lukewarm Christians in the seats. And if you're all about keeping people in the seats, you've got to compromise what you preach today. Right? Right? Like the couple I was sharing, you know, that was in this other pastor's church. Too much word. Oh, too much God. God is the word. Can you imagine that? Sit that couple down and say, well, who do you think the word is? The word is God. You know what you just said about our church? There's too much of God in this church. What do you want in the church? We can obviously tell you certainly don't want more of God. You want more of the flesh. You want more of, the, more of the carnage? I don't. I don't know about you. This is the this is the word for my life in 2023. You ready? Upgrade. Upgrade. Came from Dr. Barclay. This is the word for the body of Christ. You go back to that context of those 10 things he gave during the webinar. Number one thing he gave. You better get serious about your Christian walk. You better make it really serious. And you better upgrade your life. So even myself. Upgrade. What's upgrade mean? Okay, I'm on a certain level now. Upgrade means what? I'm going to go up to another level. How are you going to get there? Just by claiming upgrade. Woo! I'm going to upgrade my Christianity this year. Glory to God. Well, confess it all you want. That's good. But guess what? To upgrade means you're going to have to do something different than what you're doing now. You don't do something different than what you're doing now spiritually. You're not going to upgrade. Because you got to do something different to upgrade. Isn't that right? And this is, a, this is a time to upgrade your life and your walk with God. Find out where you are and say, I'm going to upgrade. And I'm going to get a plan. See, my goal sheet's about the plan for upgrade this year. I don't know what your goal sheet's about, but mine's about upgrade. How I'm going to upgrade my walk with God even more. But you got to do that on your own. Amen? So don't make church optional. Number two, we've already touched on these. Number two, I want you to word it this way. Make your relationship with God a daily priority. Make your relationship with God a daily priority. Priority, key key words in there, relationship, relationship, daily, priority. It's about a relationship. It's about getting to know somebody. It's about getting to know his voice. It's about getting to know his leading. It's about being so close to God you're aware of him with you every day. He doesn't leave you nor forsake you. But most Christians don't even have a, a, a second of a moment in their life or even have a clue that God's presence is with them. But we should. We should be aware of his presence every day. Could I get a better amen? Amen. So what's the priority? The priority is my relationship daily with God. How do I do that? And see, I taught you how to do that last week. And I did not make the second point that being in the word of God should be a daily priority every day. You know why? That becomes a religious exercise. What's the purpose of going to the word? Relationship. How am I going to know God? Through the word. If you don't spend daily time in the Word, the less you're gonna know God, because guess what the God re- guess what God's Word reveals to you? Who God is. Yes. Wigglesworth said it's the only way I can know God, and he knew him. Yes. Everybody that I've ever learned from, gleaned from, understood, who walked close with God, minister or not, spent time relationally with God in the Bible. When they opened their Bible, they fellowship with God. They did not, I I'm not against them, but I do not really like these quote unquote Year, you know, reading plans to get through the Bible in a year. You're just trying to accomplish a goal of reading the Bible in a year. That doesn't mean you're going to get anything in relationship with God out of that. You'd be better off to read one verse the entire year and hear God speak to you out of that one verse than read the whole Bible. Now, y'all to read more than one verse. Y'all be able to hear from God. It by, by, shouldn't take you 365 days to read one verse to hear from God. Right? Are you listening? But listen to me, it's not the quantity of what you read, it's the quality. Get it down. It's not the quantity, it's the quality. What are you getting out of that time with God? Well, I can tell you how you can examine to see what you're getting out of it. It's really simple. If I, and, and where do I need to spend the majority of my time in the Bible? New Testament, because I've got to understand my covenant with God. I've got to understand what I have in Christ. I've got to understand who I am in Christ. The more I learn that, the more I can now relate the Old Testament to my life through the New. And understand God better. Amen. But you got to understand this. This is critical. It's not quantity. It's quality. If I went and spent two hours with you, but that time was not quality time. I'm looking at my social media like everybody does today. I'm looking at other things. I'm talking to other people. I'm with you, but I don't have any quality time with you. I didn't get to know you any better in that two hours than I did before the two hours I started with you. You listening? If I was around you two hours, but my attention was everywhere else. I didn't get to know you any better in those two hours than I did at the start of those two hours. But what if I focused on you? Come on. What if my my two hours was to learn more about you, talk to you, get to know you better, fellowship with you? Come on, somebody. Guess what I'm going to know at the end of that two hours? I'm going to know stuff about you. I'm going to know more about you. I'm going to know more about the relationship with you than I did at the start of that two hours. So when I'm reading my Bible, how do I know if I'm reading it right? If you just read about four or five verses and have no knowledge of what you just read, you got to go back. you got to back up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what did I just read there? Because you know what your carnal nature is prone to do? Wander off. See, this is this is how you deal with your carnal nature. Don't just read it and say, okay, I read my chapter today. Yeah, but what did it say to you? I don't know. I don't know what it was about. Eh, I sort of kind of remember something about this guy that was over here trying to get Jesus' attention or something. something happened. I don't know. some guys got mad about it, or some kind of thing like that. There's no relationship in that. All you did is read a chapter. Are you listening? But I'm here to tell you folks, the only way that you make a daily uh, relationship with God a priority is the word of God. You live in that Bible. I said, you live in it. So realize the first reason we live in our Bible is what I want, I want you to emphasize. I want to emphasize this today because what I'm going to talk about. The reason that you live in your Bible is for a relationship with God. That's the primary reason. Go to Romans chapter 12. It's not the only, as we're going to see today. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12. So, again, I know you know these verses, but you better perk up your little attention a little more because we're talking about being prepared for what's ahead, being prepared, fully equipped. Fully equipped. I got all that I need for what's coming. All that I need to walk in the will of God. All that I need to fulfill my purpose in God. All that I need when Satan tries to strike, he loses. I'm equipped. I'm ready. I know my authority. I know who I am as a child of God. I know what God has already prepared in my heart with the word of God. I will have answers when I need them. Could I get a better amen? You don't understand that in a message like today or a message like tonight or a message like Wednesday night, God's also giving you things that will be answers for your future. Amen. There'll come a day that all of a sudden something will happen and you go, wait a minute, now I remember. I remember I heard that in a message. You might not even know the day or the or you know the actual was it a Sunday morning, Sunday night? I don't know, but I remember hearing that. See the Holy Spirit, your helper, saying, Thank God I got a helper. What's well, part of his job to help you with? Bring all things back to your remembrance that you've learned from the Word of God. Well, what if I haven't learned them? He can't bring them back to your memories. I'm going to show you today that what we're going to talk about has to do with one key word, and that is practice. Because what you practice, you get good at. Whatever you practice, you get good at. I'll kind of use myself as an example, and now I want you to understand we're going to apply this to your soulish realm, not your body, not your outward body, but your soul. What we're going to talk about practicing today has to do with your soul. Dealing with your soul. But in the natural realm. So in the context of being a bull rider, one of the keys to being successful as a bull rider is guess where you don't want all your weight while you're sitting on the back of a bull back here. You don't want to be sitting on your rump. Because if you're sitting on your rump, guess what you're doing? You are 170 pounds trying to overpower 1,800. Can I help you? It ain't going to work. You're going to be a yard dart. If you don't wind up on his head, you're going to wind up on the ground. Because when all your weight is shifted back to your end, guess what? That bull's moving forward and you're not. You listening to me? Because you're sitting back here, all your weight's not moving forward with him. You're trying with just the strength of your arm to outpower 1,800 pounds of bull. And I'm going to tell you right now, if your hand's tied into the rope rope like mine was, he's going to bring you, but not at the same time he goes. He's going to go before you, then he's going to bring you. And when he brings you, he's going to be going the opposite direction. You're coming down. Are you listening? You can't overpower 1,800 pounds of bull. For years and years and years, like if you get on a pretty decent little, what we call like a nice or a pup bull, I mean, they jump and kick kind of like a rocking chair. So as they kind of jump and kick as a rocking chair, they're not really lunging. They're not really leaving you. They're not really going forward. They're just kind of sitting in one spot, you know, like a rocking chair. Now, listen, you could sit on your rear and ride that kind of bull because the truth is, guess what? He's keeping you there the whole time. But most bulls don't buck that way. You listening? They got all kinds of moves. Now, I'm telling you, I couldn't understand why on all these other harder bulls I kept bucking off and all the time getting thrown down. Nobody could seem to help me. And I would ask other friends of mine. I asked world champion friends of mine. Just because you're world champion, don't mean you're a teacher, don't mean you can see what others don't see. And I always could because there's a gift as a teacher in my life. I could apply that to anything and see things people couldn't see. I had students that would come to my schools that have been to world champion schools. Say they could never see that. They never pointed that out. I said, not, not faulting them. They're not a teacher. They're good at what they do, but that don't mean they can teach it. That don't mean they see everything that, that I see, everything that I recognize and see. So thankfully, I got, I got across of a video of a guy that was a true guru, teacher in Bull Rides. His name was Gary LaFew. Still around. And I saw one of his videos. And on one of these videos, he points out what he calls post-position. Now, for those of you who ever rode horses bareback, you'll know what I'm talking about. Because if you get on a horse, no saddle, and you ride up a hill, guess what you can't do? You can't sit on your rear end. If you do, guess what's going to happen? You will slide off that horse. How are you going to stay on that horse? You've got to shift all your weight forward up on the inside of your legs so that horse is going up that hill. Guess what he's doing? He's carrying you up that hill. Because you don't have a saddle to hold on to. You got no stirrups. You listening? You could sort of kind of hold on to the mane, but if that horse is going pretty quick and up a pretty steep hill, you're still going off the back end. Gary LeFew in training bull riders would take him out in the hills of California where he lived, put him on horse's bareback. Because I guarantee you if they're sitting on their rear end, they'd, they'd slide off that horse time and again. He'd say, now you got you to shift your weight forward to be able to stay on this horse, and you got to do the same thing on a bull. It's called post position. And I picked this up on a video that he talked about. I'm not boring you, am I? No. And so he said, listen, the only way that you can most of the time fix this as a bull rider is not on a bucking machine. I had one. Not on a barrel, bucking barrel. I had one. You know what they teach you? They teach you you can sit on your rear end and ride a bull because they don't buck like a lot of times like a bull does. So I developed a really bad habit of sitting on my rear end as a bull rider. And so he showed you got to get that arch out of your back, sh- rate, you know, shift your weight forward and get up on the inside of your legs. And to do that, create a stationary barrel. I've tried so many with some young bull riders to get them. They want something that bucks like I did when I was young. But I keep telling myself, I've been there, boys, I've done this. Get a stationary barrel, sit on that thing for hours. Picture in your mind, your mind's powerful. Visualize that bull doing whatever you want to visualize him doing. But as he's doing it, you be making the proper moves. When that bull's lunging and going forward, you get out over that front end of that bull, get all your weight up on the inside of your legs at post position. Picture him in your mind that he's now kicking. When he does, you shift your weight back, get your free arm back, obviously overtake that that jump. But the minute he starts moving again, you're shifting right out over that barrel. And you're going to do it hour after hour after hour after hour. And I built a stationary barrel. I was single back then. I don't know if Kathy would have allowed me to do it or not. I might have done it so so committed to bull riding at the time anyway. I had a stationary barrel in my living room. I sat there for hours watching TV, doing this move over and over and over and over again. Didn't matter if it was cold, hot outside, didn't matter. Guess what I'm doing for hours? Well, guess what happened within about a year's time of me practicing on that barrel? I went from a nobody to the reserve champion of Arizona, New Mexico, combined in the Amateur Association. Second in all of Arizona, New Mexico. Following year, I had my professional card. Following year, I'm going to my first professional finals, turquoise circuit finals, and went every year. The following year after that, I rode a bull that was famous. His name was Red Lightning. The highest scored ride ever in the history of the PRC at the time was Denny Flynn, one of my all-time heroes in the bull riding world on Red Lightning. I rode him at Lake Charles, Louisiana, rode the bull riding. Now I'm going to tell you why. All because of a word called practice. Practice. Practicing the same move that I needed to make over and over and over again. Why? Because your body doesn't tend to want to do what it needs to do. Well, let me help you, believer. Your mind doesn't do by its own what it's supposed to do. If you let your mind go idle and do whatever it wants, you'll go the way of the flesh every time because your mind is not saved. Your soul is not saved. Christians don't seem to understand this. And because your soul's not saved, guess what you need to do? You need to get on a stationary barrel with your mind every day. You need to practice every day. We taught a little bit amongst our men on, on, a, on Friday night about this. The tabernacle, I saw the first of last year. I saw this in a vision from God. Never heard it taught. God gave me a vision of the old tabernacle, of which they created initially in the Old Testament with, you know, uh, you know uh, partial materials, and then eventually Solomon built an ultimate temple. But that temple had three parts. It had an outer court. It had an inner holy area. Then it had the holy of holies. The outer court anybody could walk into. I began to see this. The outer court represents your body. You're a three-part being. God never does anything without significance. What he was showing them in the Old Testament is who they were. He was dealing with them the way he could based on what he could only do under the Old Testament with that literal layout of what is now an example. The Old Testament was written for admonition that we can learn from it. That outer court anybody can go into. Guess what? Guess what my wife cannot stop me from doing? Guess what Shelly can't stop me from doing? Guess what Charlie can't stop? I mean, they could try to knock me down. But guess what? If I'm around you physically, guess what I can do? Guess what I can do, Johnny? (laughs) Guess what? Anything can get to your body. Anything can get into the outer court. But only the high priest could walk into the initial inner court where there were three elements. Anybody remember what was there? Altar of incense, table of showbread. What else? The lampstand. So the, the, high, the high priest, he could own, he, they went in there weekly. And guess what that inner court represents? Your soul. Guess what can't get in your soul? Nothing you don't let. But you can let stuff get in there. You're the guardian of your soul. Are you listening? Yes. Well, why did the priest spend so much time in that area? He could only go into the Holy Holies once a year. Why did he spend so much time in that area? You know why? God does nothing without significance. Guess where you need to spend most of your time dealing with yourself? Your soul. You need to deal with your soul constantly, day in, day out. Are you listening? Those three things represent the soul itself. Mind, will, and emotions. I'm going to teach on it today. The altar of incense... The, tape, the showbread and the lampstand represent your soul, mind, will, and emotions. God didn't put them there just for some thing to come up with and say, hey, this sounds good. Let's put, a, let's put a lamp in there. Hey, by the way, let's put some incense in there. By the way, let's put the table of showbread there. No, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word. How do you do that? See, the showbread represents your will. You have to choose. You have to choose to eat that word. You have to choose to partake of that word. It's a choice you make of your soul. The part of your soul, which is what? Your will, what you choose to do. Amen. What's the lampstand represent? Your emotions, because they flicker all the time. Your emotions are always being affected by things around them, but you don't have to let them control you. What's the altar of incense represent? The altar of incense represents the other part of your soul, which is your reasoning, your mind. Because it goes up in all directions thinking different things. Are you listening? So you got to understand something. Where do I spend all of my time, high priest, of your soul? In your soul, dealing with your soul. What's inside inside that uh, holy court, the holy of holies? What's in there? That represents your spirit man. What was in that holy of holies? God was in there. Guess who's in your spirit man? Come on, somebody. God was in there. And what this relates to you is, guess what? There's only one way God can relate to you, through your spirit man. He don't relate to your soul. He don't relate to your body. He's inside the Holy of Holies. He's relating to your spirit man. Can I get a better amen? The whole goal of becoming a total man, as we've been teaching our men on Friday nights in our series with Dr. Summerall, is if you become controlled by that inner man by dealing with your soul, guess what you do? You now release God. You release God. You release God to come out and to work in every area of your life. Why is God not working in most people's lives? I'm going to tell you why. They're not doing what the high priest did. They're not dealing with the table of showbread. They're not dealing with the lampstand. They're not dealing with the altar of incense. They're not focusing on the key thing about their life that they need to work on and practice on every day. And that's the soul, mind, will, and emotions. Watch this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies... A living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now if you just let your body do whatever comes at it, whatever it wants, et cetera, et cetera, I'm talking about through the soul, then obviously you're going to walk in a position of the carnal nature, the carnal flesh, right? Your naturalized sees something you want and your soul doesn't correct it. If it sees something it wants that you shouldn't have, and your soul doesn't correct it to a right choice, to let your spirit dominate, Guess what? You're going to wind up going the way of the flesh. You got to present your body a living sacrifice. What does that mean to present my body a living sacrifice? You ready? My body doesn't do anything that I allow it to do apart from what me as a soul, will, choices, decisions, tells it what to do based on the word of God. I tell my body, my body sees something it don't want. Here's what I want to get across to you. This is what I want to get across to you. So the whole purpose of hours on that barrel was to do one thing. When you jump on the back of that bull and you come out of that chute, guess what you don't have time to do? You don't have time to think about, am I posting right? Am I getting into the right position? You know what you need it to be? Come on, you know what you need it to be? Help me preach today. Come on, you know what you need it to be? Automatic. You just need it to happen. Because so, you got to focus on where that dude's going. And you want your body to just respond automatic. How's that going to happen? I'm going to tell you how. You're going to have to practice. You know what I noticed? After I started seeing improvement, I stopped getting on the barrel. I stopped doing the stationary barrel, and guess what happened? I went right back to my old habits. All of a sudden, I started having problems again. I couldn't understand why. I thought I had this figured out. See, this is Christians. Christians think, "Well, I've heard or heard the word priest once before. Well, I've heard it half a dozen times. I got it figured out, man." No, let me help you. Your mind's going to drift right back. See, the the reason the priest had had a constant, continual, never-ending Work of dealing with that inner court is because it represents for you, you'll, on this time frame in the, in the earth and the planet, you never stop dealing with your soul. Right. Never. But you got to practice what the Bible says you're to do with it so when you face things that, that come, you don't have time to stop and think what to do. You just need to know the decision to make. You need to know the right choice. Yeah. Come on, somebody. You don't have time to run. Most of you wouldn't even take time. You don't have time to run the Bible, find out is this right or not. What do I do with this situation or not? No, we just let our emotions get out of control because somebody said something we didn't like. Somebody treated me in a way I didn't want to be treated. But see, if you deal with your soul and practice it the way that we do in the things of the natural, guess what your soul will start doing? It'll start responding to the Spirit. It'll start responding to the Word of God. And it'll be automatic. It'll be automatic. But the problem is you got to practice it every day. You got to deal with your soul every day. Amen. Can I get a better amen? amen. But if I, don't, if I don't present my body as a living sacrifice, obviously to what I need to do for my soul, I'm never going to pick up my Bible. Good. I'm never going to do what I need to do. Right. Look at verse 2. Watch this. And do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed. There's only one way. Be transformed by what? Underline it. The renewing of your mind. That's the practicing. What am I doing? By daily renewing my mind, I'm practicing for my soul to know the difference between that's God, that's not God. You do that, you don't do that. You believe that, you don't believe that. You accept that, you don't accept that. And the more I practice that, it becomes automatic. Automatic. But you have to, listen to me, you have to constantly as a daily reminder renew your mind to the Word of God just like me getting on that barrel. When I was dedicated every night to come home and get on that barrel, do you know what world champions still do today? Do you know what the actual quote unquote, uh, you know, the actual uh, world champion bareback riders, saddlebuckers, riders, you know what, you know what world, guess what world champion ball players do? Practice. Practice. Guess what they do every week? They got games, man, but guess what they do on the off days? They're practicing. You know why? Because if they don't, they'll go back to their ways of old habits. See, now, if that's true and we understand that natural, how can we not figure this out with our soul? That we don't think our soul isn't going to drift back to the old way of thinking? You know why you get so frustrated and mad and respond the way you do to your emotions? I'm going to tell you why. Because you haven't trained your soul enough to deal with the way you recognize stuff when it comes at you to know that ain't good. Let Let me put it to you this way. I'm trying so hard, Lord. Help me. Let me put it to you this way. This is good. Let's say that frame over there represents good. This is bad. I have a choice today. I'm going to come across all kinds of stuff as I go down the road of life. Yeah. When you walk out, you're, you're dealing with stuff right now with your old fleshly nature, whether you want to hear me or not. You're going down the road of life. You're headed down the road of life, and all of a sudden, guess what? Something's going to happen, and I got a choice. Yeah. In that moment of time, in that moment of time, I don't have time to run back to the Bible. I got a choice. Am I going to choose death or am I going to choose life? Am I going to choose the path God chose for me or am I going to go the way of the flesh? And the reason so many follow their flesh and their emotions and their carnal nature is because you know why? They haven't done what they needed to do with their soul daily to practice what the Bible says daily so that I know clearly when the moment comes. I know exactly how I'm going to respond because my soul's been trained. He knows what's God. He knows what's not God. And I'm going to do what God says. So you got to be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of what again? Watch this, that you will prove. Come on, somebody. You will prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Can I help you? You're headed down that good life pathway. That God prepared for you beforehand. If you haven't got it yet, folks, here's number three. You must make renewing your mind a daily practice. A daily practice. You must make renewing your mind a daily practice. Don't practice it every day. You'll get weak. And your mind will revert back to what it's always done. It'll get offended. It'll get angry. It'll get frustrated. It'll get fearful. It'll get afraid. It'll it'll get revenge. It'll get revenge. It won't forgive. It'll get bitter. Remember we talked about Wednesday night? But I'll guarantee you what, folks, this ain't going to be automatic. This doesn't happen just because you're born again. Why did the Bible tell us we got to renew our mind? This renewing is not a one-time thing. This renewing is what we're supposed to be living a life of now. Are you listening? You want to be a world champion Christian? You want to be a world champion Christian? Guess what you're going to have to do? Practice renewing your mind daily. Because if you don't, your mind will drift away. Let me show you why this is so important. You still with me? Go to Hebrews 4. You need to keep that picture of why God does nothing without significance. Are you listening? He created that temple to show a picture of man himself. Why did that priest have to week in and week out spend all that time in that one area? Because that's the primary area you got to deal with. That's the primary area you got to deal with. What did they do in the outer court? Offered sacrifices. What are you supposed to do? Offer your body as a sacrifice. What do you got to do in that inner court? you got to constantly deal with your mind, your will, and your emotions to line up with God. And if you practice this, you get good at it, you'll prove. Every time you walk down that road of life and something comes, you're going to prove what's the good the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. You know what that means? You're not going to be ruled by your emotions. You're going to rule them. Come on. It, it comes down to something i want to talk about maybe next week, but it comes down to decisions. It comes down to choices you make in life. But those choices are based off of, it's like a bull rider. The choices he makes primarily is based off of what that animal's doing. What if he hasn't prepared? He's going to hit the ground. What if he hasn't prepared his body to respond in the way that it should? He's not going to stay on for eight seconds. Are you listening? The problem is we get on some pup things in life like a pup bull and we kind of start doing some things where things work for us. We think, well, see, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. And it's Satan leading you on and say, yeah, wait till I put you on a rank one, baby. Wait till I throw an eliminator at you. You won't be ready. And the problem is I may take you out in the midst of it. And Christians don't realize it. Are you still here? One eliminator bull can, can not just take a, a bull rider's career away, can take his life away. Take his life away. I had a friend of mine, Lane Frost, who was a great bull rider, died in Cheyenne, got on a bull, got off his bull, actually did everything right, got off his bull, and as he got off his bull, his bull turned around, had big horns, and actually drove a horn in his back and pushed him down on the ground and then took off. Didn't even look that bad. Lane got up, started to run, reached up for help, and fell to the ground. He was dead when he hit the ground. That fast. That fast. Because life throws stuff at you you're not going to expect. Amen. That horn hitting his back actually busted a rib in his backside. That rib, when it pushed forward, severed the main artery of his heart. His heart immediately stopped functioning. He was dead when he hit the ground. No way to revive him because no way to get blood back to the heart. Right. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you what. As a child of God, you're, you and I are supposed to overcome. Yes, are. are you listening? Yes. We don't go to the quote-unquote event of saying, I'm going to ride bulls and overcome every bull. No, you're not. That's in the natural. You want to do it, fine. But guess what? You're going to get bucked off sometimes. But you know what you and I should never do? We should never get spiritually bucked off. Jesus overcame for us to overcome. Come on, somebody. We aren't the losers. Why are so many losing? Because they don't have automatic reactions to what goes on. Oh, they do, but they're not of God. Their automatic reactions are of the flesh. Let me show you the power of this. Hebrews chapter four. You still still with me? Verse twelve. For the word of God. Say the word of God. Watch this. It's living and powerful. Man, I wish I had time to preach on that. I'd like to preach about an hour right there on that. God's word is what? It's living. It's alive. You know what? It has power in it. It has power in it. Why are most people not taking advantage of it? They don't renew their mind to it. It's living and powerful. Notice, sharper than any two-edged sword. What does it do? It pierces even to the division of what? Underline it. Soul and spirit. And then he just uses a natural analogy to try to explain it further. It is also of a, a divider of joints and marrow. Underline this, please. It's a discerner. What's a discerner? The Word of God. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, the phrase heart here does not refer to your spirit, man. Because the word heart often in the English language could be translated one of two ways. In the New Testament, that word could be cardia, or excuse me, that word could be pneuma or that word could be suke. Pneuma, it's referring to your spirit. Suke, it's referring to your soul. It's talking about the center of your soul, your will, your desires, what your soul wants. Not what God wants, what your soul wants. What does the word do? The word reveals what's of you, what your soul wants, and the word reveals what's of the spirit of God. There's only one way you can divide between knowing as I face something in life what is God and what is not? What is of the Spirit and what is of me? What is of the flesh and what is of God? There's only one way you can know. The Word of God's the only divider. The Word of God's living and powerful, able to divide spirit from soul. You're a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. You need to discern what the Spirit of God tells you according to the Word of God. You need to go by the way of your spirit, which will always go the way of God if you know what God said. Right. You listening? But the only way you know when you face a situation, how to, how to respond in a reactionary way that's constant and, and consistent, I got to practice what the Word of God says about walking in love. How do I do that? By renewing my mind daily. By practicing renewing my mind daily to what love is. If you have a problem with walking in love, I have a word for you. Brother Hagin taught it to everybody if they applied it it worked. Go to 1 Corinthians. Don't turn there today. If you have a problem with love, go to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. Read them over and over and daily meditate on them. Daily meditate on them. Meditate on them. Because when you respond in love, you respond in like kind of what that says. You listening? And then all of a sudden when somebody wrongs you, guess what the automatic reaction of your soul is? I'm suffering long here. I'm not going to respond with my emotions. My emotions don't feel good right now. But you don't go by your emotions. You listening? But you're only going to do that if you do what? Practice renewing your mind of the word daily. Because if you do, now all of a sudden that training kicks in. Come on. That training kicks in. The soul knows. No, 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 no. Don't go away the emotions here. No, 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 no. Nope, the Bible says suffer long. But come on, the Bible says that I'm to forgive. The Bible says that I'm to love all. I'm to even love my enemies. That's right. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Love suffers long. It's kind, meekness, all the things that love is. You, if you meditate on that, what are you doing by meditating on that? What are you doing by going to those verses and grabbing them and meditating on them day in and day out? You know what you're doing? You're in the practice pen. Right. You're in the practice pen with your soul and you're training your soul, this is how you respond in relationship to love. This is how you respond in relationship to finances. This is how you respond in relationship to things in this world. So you find whatever your weaknesses are and focus on those areas, and that'll help you practice and deal with and get rid of the weakness. God get a better amen. But you got to do what? You got to renew your mind to who you now are, and what the Bible says, that's God's spirit. That's not, that's soul. You listening? Well, I don't have to go to church. Is that spirit or is that soul? That's soul. Because the Bible don't tell you you don't have to go to church. You listening? Bible doesn't say you have to. Bible says you get to. But does the Bible teach you to go to church? Does the Bible teach you to give? Well, then preachers just want my money. Is that spirit or is that soul? That's the soul. Does the Bible say all the preachers want your money? No, it doesn't. No, you say that. Well, I know some preachers that do. Well, quit giving to them. If all they want is their money for, for, for themselves from you, quit giving to them. If they're not preaching the gospel, doing the work of God, quit giving to them. But quit going around with your little carnal self and saying, all you preachers want is my money. If you hear that word ever spoken to you, tithing's not of God, even from ministers. Many false prophets in the last days will come, tickling the itching ears of many. Well, he's a famous preacher. He said it. All right. So if he said it and you've practiced the word and renewed your mind daily, you look at it and say, is that spirit or is that soul? Oh, tithing's not of God. That's not New Testament. Is that spirit or is that soul? Go study tithing for yourself. Renew your mind to all that Scripture says about it. And when you find out what the Bible says, you'll know that's the soul. That's not spirit. But you know why people don't do that? They don't renew their mind to the Word. So you know what they go by? They go by star status. Just like people do in the natural. Well, pastor, come on, you only got... 35, 40 people, man, they got thousands of followers. They must be right. Oh, okay. Let's go by that little standard you just established as right or wrong. So the right or wrong established standard is whether or not you have a lot of people following you or not. So I have a question. How many people from the first generation out of of Egypt went into the Holy Land? How many people from the first generation out of the... Only two did. There was millions. Well, surely Joshua... And Caleb, they're nuts. They must be wrong. We don't want to listen to them. They're not the majority. The majority said, we can't do it. Oh, no, no, no. There's giants in the land. They never denied there was giants. Come on, somebody. Help me preach. But see, this is what Pastor said back on on the webinar. we got to quit going by the standard of the world. we got to go by the standard of the Bible. Jesus had many followers. Are you sure about that? No, he had many observers. He didn't have a lot of followers. How many followers, how many devoted followers of Jesus Christ in three and a half years of day in and day out ministry and then appearing to hundreds and hundreds of them, raised from the dead, told them all the same thing, go to Jerusalem. How many devoted followers did he have? 120. How many was in the upper room that obeyed, did what he told them to do? 120. 120. He told them all after he raised from the dead. What did he say? Go to Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father. You need to be empowered. You're going to face demons. You're going to face evil. You're going to face wickedness. You need to be empowered. Obey me. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. How many went? Out of thousands he appeared to. How many went? How many devoted followers did the Son of God? I'll never forget one time I was in a little pity party. These don't do you any good. I was in a pity party to God. I'm not making disciples. Our church ain't growing. We're not getting bigger. Da, 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 da. I just don't have that many devoted followers in the sense of them following Jesus. I haven't made a great amount of disciples of anybody. He said, I have a question for you, son. How many devoted followers? I didn't know this, son. How many, this was years ago. How many devoted followers did I have? Hmm. My first thought was 12. Well, then you got to kick Judas out because he betrayed him. So 11, but you did add 70 that you sent out. So if you take account of the other 70s, so 81. And I kept thinking about that. And he wouldn't answer it. I just kept thinking about that. And I kept challenging myself to figure it out. And then it hit me. I started reading all these verses in the midst of that about him being raised from the dead and appearing to everybody. And I thought, you're looking at Jesus in a glorified state. Any idea what that looked like? In a glorified state. Glorified, man. He can show you the hands. He can show you the print. You know, the, the hole in his side. And he's, glor- he's walking and glorified by the Son of God. Right. Bible says in one setting he appeared to over 501. For 40 days he appeared to all these people. What do you think he told them? Well, you don't go. You stay here. I just want these 120. You kidding me? So if that's true, he's partial. Because he only wants 120 to overcome the devil. But God shows no partiality. And then I got it. Then I got it. I said, Lord... I bet you told every one of them, go to Jerusalem. He said, you're on to it. And I said, 120 showed up. You had 120 devoted followers. He said, that was me, the son of God. And you're complaining? That's That's all he said. He didn't have to say anymore. Done with my pity party. (laughs) Just going to obey you. Just going to do what you tell me to do. Hallelujah. Understand this, folks. You have to practice. Say, Practice. You have to daily practice renewing your mind to the Word of God because verse 12 says it's the only thing that's going to show you. That's Spirit. That's God. That's not. We think we know. We think we know. I said we think we know. How many times have you responded in the flesh in the last week? Sure get awful quiet when you go preaching like this. How many times have you responded to your flesh the last week? I thought you said you knew the difference between spirit and soul. <coughs> so if you knew the difference between spirit and soul, what's the difference? Spirit, life, soul, death. Why'd you choose death? Go ahead, turn your neighbor and say, he is really preaching better really than you right? amen in <laughs> today. Why do we do that? Well, you know, we're just all carnal. We're just all human. Bite your tongue. Go find a verse that says, now that you're a born again child of God, you're human. No, you're not. You're a spirit. That's right. You're not a mere human. No, right. I said, you're not a mere human. Yeah. If you're a mere human, you ain't going to heaven. Yeah. Your soul's headed, your, your spirit man's headed to damnation. Right. No, we're not you listening to me? Yes. Quit allowing that to be an excuse for what you do. That's right. Well, we're all human. No, we all have a human side, but we don't have to respond to it. Right. If I walk in the light of the spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right. Including the anger and the frustration and the stuff that tries to rule my life. Amen. Thus said the Bible, the book of Galatians. Everybody forget about those verses? So, if you got off into the flesh at all, what does that reveal? Well, clearly you still need some practicing. Amen. Right? Because the truth is, if you have set before you life and death, what should you choose? I said, what should you choose? Wouldn't it be pretty obvious? Go, go down to Hebrews chapter 5. So he goes on. Hebrews 4, word of God. Say word of God. Word of God's the only way you can know. The difference between your spirit and your soul. What's, what's God and what's not? Well, I already know that. Then why aren't you choosing it? If you say you already know it, why are you not choosing it? I'm going to tell you why. Because like me, I hadn't had enough time on that barrel yet. But the more I put into that, the more I put into that over and over and over and over again, my body started responding. My body started automatically doing what I trained it to do. So will your soul. I said, so will your soul. That's why renewing your mind isn't a one-time thing. It isn't a one-week thing. It isn't a one-year thing. It's a daily practice. Are you listening? All these professional athletes know, if I want to stay in tune, if I want to do what I need to do to be successful, guess what I'm going to do every, every moment I can when i got free time? I'm practicing. I'm practicing. I'm on my spur board. I'm on my bucking board. I'm on my barrel. Or I'm on whatever. Name it. I'm in the batting cage. I'm with my pitching coach on the mound. I'm letting him point out the stupid stuff I'm doing that I picked up again, doing the bad habit. Didn't even realize I was all of a sudden turning my hand over. And I didn't even know that I was doing it. Just automatic, but he can see it. Come on, somebody. Why would we not want to be super successful spiritually? Hebrews, are you still with me? So Hebrews, I told you five, didn't I? I'm incorrect. Chapter six, I apologize. Hebrews chapter 6. No, wait a minute. Is that right? No, that's right. Hebrews chapter 5. I'm good. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. There comes a point as a believer that you shouldn't have to be going through the basic things of Christianity over and over and over again. But that just proves you haven't really practiced getting a revelation of what they are. And therefore, you keep walking out what the flesh wants. And he tells this to the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew believers. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, you ought to be helping some other people with this at this point. Notice this, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, the sayings of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. You're still in the bottle, darling. You're still in a sucky bottle. Your pastor has to keep telling you the same thing over and over, and he will. But I'm just saying personally, he got to keep personally telling the same thing over and over again because you won't do what he tells you to do. If you start doing what your pastor tells you to do according to the Bible, you start going and doing what the Bible says, be a doer of the work, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be transformed. Your life's going to be transformed. Your pastor knows it ain't going to happen automatically. He's going to keep telling you. But after a few years, you would think maybe somebody would get a reality. Now, that pastor's got to wake up to the fact, I'm not casting my probe before swine. We've been over this for about four or five years now, and you keep doing the same thing. I'm not going to keep telling you what to do. You already know what to do. Well, that's why I don't like to go to pastor, because he don't fix nothing. No, I never will fix anything. You're going to fix everything with God's help. I'm not here to fix it. I'm not the fixer. God's the fixer. For by this time you should be teaching others. 13, everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He's a babe. What's that mean? You're not walking in your rights as a child of God, and you're not walking in what's right in the sight of God. Because you're still living like a baby Christian. This isn't referring to righteousness in the sense of salvation. This is referring to knowing your rights and doing what's right. Amen. You're born again. You're a child of God. You're already right with God. Amen. You already have righteousness. Yes. Amen. So now you should do what's right in the sight of God. You know why you're not? I'll tell you why. Because you're not taking the word of God and you're not practicing in your, in your soul to know the difference between what's God and what's not. So you respond biblically. Are you listening? Watch this. Uh, verse 14. But solid food. Say solid food. So that means you've now come up to a whole other level in Christianity. Solid food belongs to those who are full age. Mature, mature believers. Watch this. Those who how they get there. Those who by reason of use. Underline that phrase. By reason of use, they do what? They have their senses, their senses, their soul, yes. their senses exercise, not your spirit. Your spirit knows good from evil. Mm-hmm. The problem is your soul. Where does your decisions come from? Your soul. Right. Your, de- your decision, whether your spirit rules or not, is going to come out of your soul. Amen. Your will, your choice. You're going to choose to go your spirit or choose to go the way of the flesh. Right. So where I need discernment is in my soul. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercise the soul to discern what? Tell me. How hard is this to figure out? So out of chapter 4, he keeps going. He gets down to chapter 5 and he comes to this and he says, listen, the word of God's going to show you good from evil. How am I going to in the moment of time discern and choose good over evil? Practice. Practice by taking the word and renewing your mind to the word. Because yes. yes. the word's going to show you good, evil, life, death, right, wrong. Yes. Yes. But if you don't practice renewing your mind to the word daily, guess what? You won't, you won't respond in that manner. Your flesh will automatically default to the anger, the hurt, the frustration, the pain. I'll close with Deuteronomy 30. Go to Deuteronomy 30. I hope you're getting this today. You can tell I want to preach on this for about three four weeks. And we may come back and preach on it later this year. I'm just telling you, all, all this series is, is an outline of things you got to do to be equipped for what's ahead. And if you don't make practicing, renewing your mind a daily thing to the Word, you won't automatically respond when events happen according to the Word. Amen. But Boy, if you practice it and you get it in you, and you know it, man, I'll guarantee you what, your soul's going to know, your soul's going to discern now. You know your soul cannot discern good from evil apart from the Word? No, you didn't hear that. Your soul cannot discern good from evil apart from the Word. How do I know? Hebrews 4.12. The only way I can discern between good and evil is through the Word. My soul can't do that. Don't you think if your soul could do that, you'd already be choosing good? Why do you keep choosing evil? Because your soul can't do that without the Word. The Word has the power in it. Come on, the Word has the power in it. Now that your soul knows it and practices it to know what's good and evil, and therefore that power helps you do what? Choose good. Amen. Deuteronomy 30. Now, I know it's Old Testament, but it still applies today. There's application still in our daily life to things of the Old Testament that aren't any different today. Deuteronomy 30:19. God said, Here to the children of Israel. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you. In other words, I'm not just saying this. All of heaven and earth proves it. Look at how all of that heaven and earth functions and you'll find out this is proof that what I'm telling you is true. I call heaven and earth uh, as witnesses against you this day. I have set before you life and death. God doesn't have death. There's no death in him. There's no darkness in him. He's saying you have a choice now because of what Adam did in the garden. Death wasn't a choice before that. I said death wasn't a choice before that. Death wasn't in the earth. Who brought death in the earth? God didn't bring death in the earth. Satan did. Who allowed it? Adam and Eve did. So God's saying what you have before you today now is life and death. You have these choices. Ready? Yeah. Blessing and cursing. Is God cursing anybody? No, it's here. The curse is here, but how many of you know God has an option for you, called blessing. Yes. How many of you know death is here, yes. but God has an option for you. It's called life. Yes. So God's saying all God's saying by I set before you saying there's not a human on the planet that doesn't have the ability to make these, these choices. It's not like you're better than everybody else and only you have the decision. No, everybody has this option now set before them of life or death, blessing and cursing. How many think you should choose the life over the death? How many think you should choose the blessing over the cursing? Now, God even helps you out because we're human. You would think we would know which to choose. But God says even to tell you, notice this, therefore do what? Choose life. Choose life. That both you and your descendants may do what? Live. Verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God. Not hate Him. Think He's your problem. No, you'll love Him. Watch that you may obey His voice. Why? Because I know what to do. I know how to help you. That you may cling to Him. He's your life and the length of your days. That you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give them. Well, that was not the land that I've been given a promise of. Are you kidding? You have the promised blessing of Abraham. Galatians 3 13 and 14. Christ redeemed you of the curse of law, become a curse for you. Curse of you hangs on a tree. That 14, the blessing of Abraham might come, might come, might come upon you. Jesus already did what was necessary to redeem you from the curse of the law, that you can walk in the blessing of Abraham. Amen. Can I help you today? Yes. You have a choice. Life, death, blessing, cursing. God even told you, choose life. Why do we not? Why do we not? I could watch a video of, of Gary LeFew. You got to get to this post position, son. If you don't get to this post position and this bull lunges and leaves you, He's going to do exactly that. He's going to leave you. You're not going to go with him because your weight's not up on the inside of your leg. If your weight's up on the inside of your legs, that bull's carrying you with him. When he lunges, he's taking you with him. Which is a bull rider. Guess where you want to be? Where he's going. If you want to make a qualified ride, you need to be where he's going. Not where he's been. You listening? And although I saw that video, I got it. I, I saw that, you know, nothing against him, nothing against him. Uh, he understands it now. Charlie Sampson, years ago, he's still riding. He's still going full time. I even asked Charlie one time, "Why?" I mean, Charlie, I'd mean, i get to go to rodeos with Charlie on occasion. He'd come stay with us. And we'd go to rodeo together with a group of us, and I'd say, Charlie, what am I doing wrong? I'd get on a bull that'd lunge, you know, and get me back off my rope, and I couldn't hold on and buck me off. He said, I don't know, man, just keep working on it. See, some guys don't have a gift to the teacher. They, can't, they couldn't tell you. They couldn't see that. Gary Lafuse is a gift to teacher. And I saw this video. So let's say I see the video. Don't worry, I'm closing. I know it's after the holy hour of 12. I get it. So me want out of here. But let, let's say I watch the video. So now I see my problem. I see the problem. Oh, I got it. I got it. All I got to do is get up on the inside of my legs. I don't need no stationary barrel. I don't need any of that. No, man, I know the problem. I know how to fix it. So I get on my next bull and guess what's going to happen? My body's going to default right. to what it's always done. Why? I haven't trained it. Through practice. When's the training quit? Not between now and heaven. You listening? I'll guarantee you, man, you know, so many people just don't understand this, but you watch like I brought up so many times, uh, Lewis Field's son, you know, this guy's an incredible bareback rider. He's like a machine. He just, I mean, the same perfect Perfect. toes turned out, man, beats that horse to the ground. To be a good bareback rider, you got to get those spurs to that horse's front end before he hits the ground. If you don't, you're going to get out of timing. And now the power, you're holding on with one rigging. And if you get out of timing with that horse, you're now taking the full brunt of the power of that horse. You can't, you can't withstand that. Not on a good horse, you can't. A lot of people don't understand the spurring isn't just something to see. It helps you ride the horse. Ask Wes Ward next time he's here. That spurring can also help a horse buck better. But it helps you, it helps you when you do what that, what that spurring lick does. When you beat that horse to the ground, as he starts to take off and release his power, you're ready for it. You're not behind the ball. As he starts to release his power and go up, you spur back, and here's why. Because he's now lunging and going up and releasing power. What do you got to do? You got to stay with him. Guess what you can't do in bull riding? You don't ride with the inside of your legs. They're spurring. So if they keep their toes turned out, and that spurring leg is what they're supposed to do, and they're doing it right, guess what that spurring helps do? It helps them hold them down to that rigging. As their their spurs are coming up that horse, it's helping them hold them to that rigging. And now that horse all of a sudden drops. Here we go. I got to beat him to the ground again because he's going to release more power and take off again. What if I don't keep my toes turned out? Keep my spurs moving, pulling me back to that rigging. What if I get out of time? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You get on a strong enough horse, you can get bucked off. I'm going to tell you why Lewis's field son so good at what he does. He to this day spends hours every week on a stationary spur board. Sits in his, in like a, you in know, a, in a, last time I saw it on a video, it was like in a walkway, in, a, in like in a, in, a, in a barn that they had. And it's just this black stationary And I mean, this thing's like wore out, man, on the part where you spur it. He don't put his spurs on, but it's wore out from him just spurring it with his, with his boots. He has a rigging uh, attached to it, permanent stationary a bareback rigging like they ride with. And he just slides up on that rigging, sits there for hours on a board that doesn't move. And he perfects that spurring stroke. Over and over and over again. Over and over again. You want to know why the guy's won more world titles than anybody? You want to know why the guy's such a champion of what he does? You want to know why the guy looks like a machine? You want to know why it doesn't matter what that horse does or how he bucks, he's going to spur him the same way every time. Because it don't matter if they're ranked or not. That's the only way you're going to ride them when they do get ranked. You know why a lot of butt rack riders aren't as successful? I'm going to tell you why. They don't think they need all those hours on a spur board anymore. I'm a professional. I already got my pro card. Oh my! Thank you, Josh. Somebody got it, Joshua. Joshua. Already got my pro card. I Already earned my pro card. I don't need that stationary. I don't need that stationary deal. You know, a lot of people do it in church. Oh, I've heard this so many times. Oh, you got your pro card. I see. Yeah. So you know what to do, but you're just not going to do it because you're a pro now. That's good word. What did they say? What got you there keeps you there. That's exactly right. What got you there keeps you there. Child of God, if you don't understand practicing renewing your mind daily, your soul will default. Amen. What part of your soul? So, I actually kind of sort of mistaught this in a way, but if you look at the dominant part of your soul as a whole, what's the dominant part of your soul? Your emotions. More people are controlled by their emotions than anything. But why is that? Because of the, because of the will. So what's the most important part of your soul? Your will. Your choice what you choose to do. You can choose to deny your flesh. You can choose to deny your emotions. Come on, somebody. You can choose to not go away your emotion. How are you gonna do that? How in the spur of the moment? Sorry for the catchphrase. But how in the spur of the moment, when all of a sudden, man, you're facing a major problem where your wife just said something you don't like, your husband just did something you don't like. Come on, your your boss did your co worker, right? You're you're running late, you're on your way to work, and now you got a flat tire. Where are you gonna to go to? Because I will promise you this, ladies and gentlemen, going to your emotions every time gives nothing of an an additional added benefit to your life. No, it's it's detrimental. It'll take from you, it won't add to you. You listening? So the thought is, well, I just got to get my emotions under control. You never will. Your emotions are always going to be there. But the way you actually not respond to them is you practice renewing your mind to the Word because the Word's the only thing that says, uh, 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 there's life. The situation you're in right now? Go ahead. Get mad at yourself. Get mad angry. Say all these things about yourself. Get mad about your situation. Yeah. And what you're doing, son, is you're choosing death. And you're allowing frustration in your life. And your body's releasing deadly chemicals in your life. And now you're getting stressed. Come on. Now you're getting angry. And you know what's going to happen? Next person walks in the door. You're going to take it out on them. So now you're going to pass it off on somebody else. And I'm really preaching, brother And and even though I'm out of time. Because, see, you're not going to automatically do what the Bible says. You've got to practice it. Amen. Now, if a bareback rider or a bull rider or any quote-unquote sports person knows to do that with their flesh, how could we as believers not see this with our soul? Practice renewing your mind to the Word daily. I'll add a little bit to this next Sunday morning, but the key to do that, of course, is living in the Bible, fellowshipping with God, right? Yes, yes no, maybe? Yes. Man, I wished I had more time. And as you fellowship with God in reading the Bible, learning about him and learning about you, here's how I practice renewing my mind to the Bible. Everything this Bible says about me, I don't care what my mind thinks. Reasoning. I don't care what my feelings say. I don't care what my family says. I don't care what any, anybody else, not like I don't care about people, what anybody else says. You know what? If the Bible said that's me, that's me. If the Bible said I can do it, I can do it. Amen. If the Bible said that's how I'm to live, guess what? That is how I'm going to live. Amen. But When you find certain things that God will reveal in fellowship out of the word of areas that you know stand out to you, guess what he's pointing out? Get on your spur board. Yep. You take those verses and you start meditating on them. Day and night. Oh. <sighs> I have that kind of time. Then you don't want to be a champion. See, champions don't become champions because they sit on their couch while everybody else is actually practicing. They're practicing. They're getting better. I didn't say you couldn't ever enjoy some relaxation. They all do still to some degree. I'm just telling you, while most guys are doing nothing, they're practicing. That's why they're at the NFR every year and everybody else sitting at home watching them. This is life and death you're facing, folks. How serious are we dealing with stuff today in our lives? Perilous times. Perilous times. times. That's not an exaggeration. The Bible says it. Can I get a better amen? Amen. So how I learn to practice renewing my mind as I'm fellowshipping with God, I'm really trying to teach on this and I shouldn't. As I'm fellowshipping with God, things will stand out. Things will come, come available to me that I realize, ooh, I need to work on that. So it's like that conversation in that video I saw with Garrett. I, I wasn't talking to Garrett, in a few. He's talking. I saw it. I saw it. See, I'm fellowshipping through that, that video. I'm seeing what he's saying. And the minute I saw what I was doing wrong, guess what I need to now do? I got to go practice that. So how do you practice it? You, you meditate on it. You go take those things God stands out to you. And you take that word and you meditate on it day and night. And Joshua says, if you do, you'll observe to do it. Oh, I wish I had time. And he said, and if you observe to do it, guess what you're going to do? You're going to make your way prosperous, and you're going to succeed in everything. You want to know why? Because you're walking out the path God chose for your life. And I'm out of time. Stand to your feet.